Hey there. Thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly sermon podcast. We pray you meet God and know that you are loved today. Be sure to visit us at risenking.life to take all of your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. So good to see all of you this morning. So good for me to be here this morning. I'm glad to be here. I have one uh, little announcement before we get God's word together. That wonderful voice that you just heard on the on the video today is his last Sunday with us because he is headed uh, to officer training, chaplain training for the U.S. Navy. Yeah. Not only is he Reverend Paul, I think he's going to be either Lieutenant or Captain Paul or King of the World Paul, I don't know, but uh, <laughs> so we're so excited for him. He goes to Rhode Island for his training, and I believe their first uh, assignment is in Washington, D.C. So uh, Paul and Heather Garcia and their boys have been a part of our church for quite a long time. Mr. Paul has been a huge influence on our kids and worship and and connecting with the Lord. So I'd like to just pray for them and their assignment that they are headed to right now. Would you pray with me? Lord, we are so thankful for Paul and Heather and for their ministry here in this church. We pray now a, a circle of protection and blessing around them, that they will go forth in the favor of God and and that they will be able to adjust quickly to their new life and their new assignment. We pray especially for the boys that their, their lives in school and their, their home life and all, that they will be quickly settled. And we ask, Lord, for incredible anointing for this family as they influence the servicemen and women of our nation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So before I was rudely erupted, uh, interrupted with a heart attack... Uh, I was doing a series with you on faith. And uh, the reason I wanted to do this series is because one of the most important things in terms of spiritual discernment is evaluating and understanding your own expectations. Expectations form the grid through which you interpret reality. If your expectations are based on false assumptions then your, your experience of reality is going to be less than overcoming. It's actually going to be that you're going to be overcome by how bad the world is or how different life is than you expect it to be. And so one of the most important things when you study the book of Genesis is you realize God has spoken because of our disobedience. He has spoken a curse on this earth. This this world in which you're trying to make your way is a current against you. You are not flowing with the current, you're flowing against the current. And, and, And life is supposed to be difficult. And the only way to overcome the difficulties of this life is faith. And not just faith in faith, but faith in God. 
And so Genesis is this incredible, incredible book that shows us the world sucks. <laughs> it's right there in the Hebrew. And that the only people who are overcomers are those who have a relational encounter with God that leads to life-changing faith. And Abraham is the example of this. And so what I want to do this week and next week is really talk to you about the gospel according to Abraham and to look at some of the key times in Abraham's life. So the first thing that we're looking at today is Genesis chapter 15. We're going to read verses 1 through 6. And I like it when you read out loud with me. I believe the church, there's a strength when we read the word of God out loud together. So let's read together. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring and a member of my household will be my heir. And we're going to stop there just for a minute, because I don't want you to miss this. Anytime God begins a conversation with you saying, fear not, there's something to be afraid of. <laughs> that is not a good beginning. Okay, so this is, this is one of those times, and you will experience this at times. These are, there are some times when the presence of the Lord is not a warm fuzzy. There are times when the presence of the Lord is awful, dreadful. So this experience of Abram is not a warm, fuzzy experience. It's a dreadful experience of the holiness of God. Let's press on. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, and if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. So this is one of those astounding passages in the Old Testament. If you go and you study the Old Testament, you'll see that there are these life-changing encounters with the relational presence of the Lord. Now, I'm going to suggest to you throughout this message is that everything I'm going to say today will not make sense to you till you have a life-changing encounter with the relational presence of the Lord. It will never be enough to walk with the Lord if you're just in it for the morality. It will never be enough for you to simply have a theology or a kind of legalistic view where I do this, God does that. It has to be like Abraham and others in the Old Testament. It has to be that your faith arises out of an encounter with the relational presence of God. And this is what happens to Abraham and it produces a life of faith. Now, here's, here's what God's presence says to Abraham. This is what he asked of Abraham. This is what faith demanded of Abraham's life. It's a response to God. 
The first thing in Genesis chapter 12, when God meets Abraham, Abraham is settled in, in the land called the Ur of the Chaldees. And the very first thing that God asks him, he says, get out of this land. Leave your family. Leave your community. Leave everything behind that you've known and have been comfortable with and go to a land that I will tell you. And the scripture says, he left, he went with God, not knowing where he was going. It's incredibly important that you get that piece. Then the second encounter, that's this one that we're looking at, God promises to Abraham, I will make a great nation out of you. And out of this nation will come one that will bless the whole world. God is promising in Genesis 15 that through Abraham, the Messiah will come. That Messiah is Jesus, the seed of Abraham through whom anyone who trusts in Jesus has the blessings and the covenant of Abraham in their life, though they are not biologically related to Abraham. But Abraham had to respond to God in order for that to happen. And here's what Abraham says. Okay, you're going to make it to where I have descendants that are more than the stars in the sky. Then I'm going to need a child, and I'm 90 years old. And I'm going to need a land. Because I'll need a place for these children that you're promising me. I'll need a place where they can establish a nation. And so Abraham asks, and God says yes, when Abraham says what will you give me? And here's the interesting thing. And this is what's so important about faith in a biblical way. Is Abraham says, what will you give me? And God says, well, I'll give it to your descendants. Abraham never possessed anything. He never had his own land. He didn't really get to enjoy any of the promises fulfilled that God spoke to him. Now, this is, this is extremely difficult for many of us. God's word to you, God's promises to you, and a life of faith has to be a life where it's not selfish. It has to be a life where it's not self-centered. What have you done for me, God? What are you going to do for me, God? Abraham, every promise that he's making, every step of faith that he takes is not for himself but for generations to come. And do you know what? The only reason you're here today is because Abraham was faithful. There is no Jesus without Abraham. And there's no you being a Christian without Jesus. Amen. So Abraham's faithfulness is still paying dividends today. You're here today by invitation of the Holy Spirit. And what he's saying to you, I have things that I am planting in your life and I'm giving you right now to believe that will not just matter to you, but it will matter to generations to come. Here's the, here, here is the deal. <laughs> there are no microwaves in the Bible. I don't know about you, but I like microwave I like, because I like instant gratification. I have a recipe now for a potato that five minutes in the microwave and five minutes on a hot grill and it tastes like it came out of the grill and I don't have to wait an hour. I mean, have you ever had that? I got a taste for a baked potato and it's an hour later and you forgot you had a taste for the baked potato. 
By that time, he already ate all the crackers in the house, you know. And You understand, we're microwave people. The idea of having to wait for something goes against every instant gratification instinct that we have. And yet faith in the scripture is never called microwave. You know what it is? It's agricultural. You plant a seed. The seed then has to be watered. You know what the water usually is? Your tears. Then it has to be weeded. You know what that is? Spiritual warfare. The enemy wants to come and choke out any growth in your life. He wants to choke out any trust in your life. The enemy wants to come and sow seeds in the midst of all the growth that you're starting to get in your life so that you cannot figure out what's the, what's the, real, what's the real growth and what's the fake growth. But God says, if you sow, you'll also reap. And you'll reap a harvest if you do not lose heart in due season, but you continue to sow. Many of us in this room, we're not good at waiting. But we're especially not good at thinking, you mean what I'm doing won't benefit me? It'll only benefit the generations to come? Maybe I'm sacrificing. Maybe I'm called to live selflessly. And yet it won't benefit me, but it will benefit generations after me. And that's exactly what Abraham was asked to do. He never got to possess his own land. He never got to see all these grandchildren and great-grandchildren. He had to believe not seeing that what he was doing would produce descendants who would be more numerous than the stars. That's the whole element of faith. But do you know what it cost him to have faith? Think about what I said before. Everything he knew, he had to leave. He had to get up and separate himself from his own family so he could be one with God. He had to go someplace that he had never been to. He had to go someplace that he knew nothing about. By Genesis 17, Abraham's 99 years old. Sarah's 90 years old. Somewhat past the childbearing years. And Abraham asked God, God, how will your promise even be fulfilled? I'm 99 and she's 90. With God, all things are possible. So Abraham hits 100. He must finally be ready for fatherhood. (laughs) And Sarah bears a child. Do you know what God asked next? Take your son, your only son, the son you love. Take him up to the mountain and sacrifice him to me. Hi-yi-yi. <laughs> you wait a hundred, it's probably at that point 112 years, 113 years. You've waited that long, and now God says, kill your treasure. Well, can I say it this way? I, I'm pretty blunt, okay? So I'm going to say it somewhat bluntly. If you've not had a relational encounter with God, then you should leave this faith thing alone because what it asks is too much. 
Because it asks you to sacrifice what you treasure. It asks you to leave what makes you comfortable. It asks you to wait when you don't want to wait. Let me put it in a very specific way. I would call it a schematic of faith. Here's what God says. I didn't, I didn't create this. I read it a few places and I liked it. So God says to Abraham, I'm going to send you out. And Abraham says, where? And God says, I'll tell you later. Right now, just go. Then God says to Abraham, I will give you a land. And Abraham says, where? And God says, I'll tell you later. Just wander. Then God says, I'll give you a child. And Abraham says, how? Because he's 90 years old at this point. And God says, I'll tell you later. Just wait. Then God says, I'm going to bless all the families of the earth through you. And Abraham says, how? And God says, take your son and sacrifice him. And God says, I'll show you later. Just trust me. Would you say this with me? Just go. Just wander. Just wait. Just trust me. Now, I know in a way I'm taking Abraham's life and I'm telling you there's a schematic of faith because I believe this is what happens over and over again in the life of the person who wants to live by faith. I think there are moments in our life where we've gotten comfortable in something. We've surrounded us with something that's making us unable to really hear the voice of God, making us not indifferent to anything but the will of God, but actually making us believe God should actually resource our idolatry, that God should give success to our idols. And those idols could be our marriage, it could be our romance, it could be our family, it could be any good thing that we've made an ultimate thing. And so God says, just leave that. Leave that job. You can't have that romance. You've got to let your family go. You've got to leave the place you're used to. And he says, I'll tell you later what's going to happen, but I'm asking you now, just go. But you see, the second of these schematics is such an interesting thing because if you really want to walk with God, you're going to walk through seasons where you don't know what the purpose is. You don't know what the outcome will be. You see, when God says just wander, he's not saying there isn't a purpose. He's just saying, I'm not going to tell you the purpose. I'm not going to tell you the outcome. I'm not going to tell you even why. I'm just going to ask you, will you love me even when you don't understand me? Will you follow me even when you don't know what the result will be? Just wander. You see, you cannot get close to God if you can't live with uncertainty. Why is that so true? Well, it's kind of a simple thing. As a parent, when I'm trying to explain to my children why to do something, after I explain it to them so incredibly well, they look and say, but why? And eventually, after they say, but why, a numerous times, all I have left is to say, because dad says so. 
It isn't that I don't want to explain why. It's because they don't have capacity to understand why. So if my children didn't have capacity to understand what was best for them, and I being not a great father, but a fallible father, but loved them and had purposes and reasons and all kind of things that were good for them that they couldn't understand, how much more as a child of God does the Father have purposes for you that you cannot possibly understand? You see, if you understand God, you made God up. He's nothing more than you with superpowers. But when you have the revelation of God and you have the real God, he's a God you can get mad at because you're not going to understand him. He's a God you can say why to and not understand because the complexity of what he's doing is so beyond you. How can the infinite explain to the finite? It'd be like you trying to explain water to an ant. Just as you drown those suckers. <laughs> Gosh, that was too fun to say. <laughs> Why does God say just wait? Well, in many ways, the just wait one comes straight to us from Job. You know what Satan said? He said, every human being has a price. And the price is that if I, if I take this away, they won't love you, God. Job only loves you because you bless him. And so if I take away all his blessings, he will curse you. Because he doesn't love you for you. See, there's some point in the walk of faith, in the schematic of faith, where God says, you love me for me, and now you're going to prove it. You don't love me for my blessings. You don't love me because of all the things that, that I do for you. You love me for me. And there isn't a person who's ever walked the walk of faith who hasn't had a season where everything was taken away that made sense. And then God says, do you love me for me, or do you love me for my blessings? Do you love my face or do you only love my hand? See, God could never even tell Job that Satan had done all the things to him. Because then Satan could have said, could then Job could have said, well, it only happened because Satan did it. And he would have, he would have loved God, but he wouldn't have loved God for God. See, when everything is taken away and you have to wait. And the promises are there, but they're not fulfilled. Then it reveals, through the pressure, it reveals, am I waiting on God or am I waiting on my blessings? And then this last one, just trust me. This is probably the hardest one of all. There's a song that we sing sometimes. We haven't sung in a while, but it always rings in my ear. I think it's a Hillsong song. It says, when I trust you, I don't need to understand. You see, but when I didn't, the opposite of that is this. If I don't trust you, you have to 
give me understanding. You have to make me understand. But again, you see, if it's the God of the Bible, there are so many things you will never understand. Only when you see him face to face will you understand. So this is the season of your life where he says, I'll tell you later. Trust me. Are you tracking with me a little? Now, why is this so important? I think this is so important because I believe we're in a season where God is asking, will you go? Will you wander with me in the uncertainty? Will you wait on me for the promised fulfillment? Will you trust me even though you don't understand? And I think how we deal with such seasons has everything to do with how our faith muscles are developed. So what we see is in Genesis 15, 6, the response of Abraham was this. He believed the Lord and, it, and God himself, the Lord, counted it to him as righteousness. Now, this is really important because here is the gospel pretty much in one verse. It is that you cannot come into a right standing with God. You cannot be accepted or acceptable to God except through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Abraham trusted the promise which was fulfilled in Christ. You look back on the fulfillment of the promise that Abraham trusted in. Now, why is this thing righteousness or this idea of righteousness so important? This is one of the most important concepts in all of the Bible. We don't use this word a lot, so we need to think through what does this word mean. So you portray or you demonstrate your righteousness all the time. Now, the way you do it is this. If you're going for a job, you use a resume. Your resume is your record of righteousness. It is you saying, this is why this employer should accept me and find me acceptable for that job. It's a resume. Or if you're trying to get into a school, you use your record of righteousness, which we call a transcript. Here's why I should be acceptable to your school, because I have these grades and I have this extracurricular activity. And if the school finds you righteous, you're accepted. If the job finds you righteous, then you get the job. See, we use righteousness all the time. We just don't use that word. We use the idea, I am demonstrating that I am right for the job. I am demonstrating that I'm right for the school. Even when you tell somebody they should love you, you're saying, I'm demonstrating that I'm right for you. Come on, these are pretty good, and you're just sitting there. Come on, don't make me grab my heart. Little Fred Sanford there. It's the big one. See, but here's the thing. There's a second area of righteousness. This first one that I'm telling you, you could fool Yale and get in. You could fool your employer and get in. But when it's God's righteousness, it's not just the record of what you've done. That was righteous. It's the record of what you've done that's unrighteous. 
So righteousness is actually an investigation into any warrants against you. So I don't know about you, but I have certain towns that I owe some money in. <laughs> One of those towns is Nyack. And I'm, I'm, I'm pissed off at Nyack right now. Okay? Because you go there, you get this ticket for something incidental, and a cup of coffee ends up costing you 50 bucks. You know, it looked like it was a perfectly good parking spot to me. <laughs> or, or one time I forgot that my inspection sticker wasn't in, you know, ready or whatever, and they gave me 150 That was the most expensive meal I ever had, you know, $150 ticket. And don't get me started on New York City. I was 12 feet from that hydrant. <laughs> you understand if I can't even go through life without warrants for my driving and my parking, how in the world will I stand up to heaven's investigation into the warrants in my soul? So what Abraham, here Abraham, the father of the faith, he got right with God through faith, not through performance. His resume became the resume of Jesus. He didn't even know fully how the promise would be fulfilled, but he put his faith in the promise. You and I know how the promise was fulfilled, so we put our faith into the fulfillment of the promise in Jesus Christ. I no longer use my transcript. I use Jesus' transcript. And you know how I know there are no warrants against Jesus? Because when he went into death, death could not hold him. He blew the door out the backside of death and walked right out without any warrants against him whatsoever. But here's what Abraham teaches us. Is that you come to thresholds of faith. And those thresholds have to be mastered. You see, there was a go threshold. And then there was a wander threshold. And then there was a wait threshold. And then there was just trust me threshold. And what you see is that life did not master Abraham. Abraham mastered life. Because every threshold, and he, he was not a perfect person. But at every threshold, he said yes, and he believed God. Here's what I'd like you to find someone you can tolerate. <laughs> Look at them, point at them. Okay, here's what I'd like you to do, okay? I want you to say this to that person. I want you, I want you. To, master to master life. I do not want, do not want life to master you. Say it one more time. Come on. I want you, I want you to, master life. to master life. I do not want, do not want life, to life to master you. You see, that's what the life of faith is. It's a life of mastering, crossing the thresholds. If you are here today and you're depressed, you haven't mastered life. Life has mastered you. 
If you're here today and you're angry and you're bitter and you're resentful, you're being mastered by life. If you've resigned, withdrawn, if you've decided to give up, you're skeptical, you're cynical, you're distrustful, you're a New Yorker. All right, you're a New Jersey person. I don't know. I've never lived in a more cynical place. I've never met more skeptical people. Maybe Paris. That's the only other place. You understand, if you are skeptical and cynical, and that's how you live your life, life has mastered you. Because we who are believers are overcomers. We don't live under the pile of life. We live over. We are more than conquerors. I'm asking you today, whatever threshold you're at, it's time to believe God. It's time to cross over. Now, here's the thing. How did Abraham do that? Whoops. The word... And the way the word of God is written is always inspired by the Holy Spirit. He said, Abraham believed the Lord. You know what? He didn't just believe in the Lord. He didn't just believe the right things about the Lord. He believed the Lord. This is the whole thing. He believed what the Lord was saying. It is possible to believe in the Lord. It's possible to have correct theology and not believe the Lord. I grew up in a church that majored on the sovereignty of God. Everybody talked about God is in control of all things. All things work together for good. All things are, are happening according to the good pleasure of the Lord. But it was a church that was fearful, controlling, manipulative, oppressive, racist, and every other thing. And I'm sitting there going, you believe about the sovereignty of God, but you don't believe the sovereign Lord. Now, I'm no longer a part of that group. Because, because I used to open my big mouth and go, how can you believe these things and say you believe that? You see, how can you be worried if God is sovereign? How can you be so angry that things aren't working your way if all things are working together for your good? See, you either believe about those things or you believe them. You either believe the Lord... Or you just believe in the Lord. And if you just believe in the Lord, you're not crossing the threshold of faith. What Abraham did is he took hold of the word of God, the promises of God. Listen, in Hebrews chapter 6, the writer of Hebrews really unpacks Abraham's faith. He said, so when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. And here's where it speaks about us. We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place. We have this hope like an anchor for the soul. Would you say this with me? This is what Abraham had. He had an anchor for his soul, and it was based on his hope. Would you say, anchor, anchor. For, my soul. for my soul? Now, what do you know about anchors? Here's what I know. 
My dad had this tiny little fishing boat and a little three-horsepower motor, and we used to go fishing in the bayous and the rivers of South Mississippi and Louisiana. And where he was a fly fisherman, so he would make me go with him. I hated going. And he would make me go with him, and he would bribe me with an RC Cola and a Moon Pie. <laughs> but I didn't get it till the end. And so he would, he would fish, and you know, Every river has these currents, and every bayou had these currents. And so he's fly fishing the banks, and as he's fishing the banks, he'd hit a hot spot. Because if you catch one, you're going to catch a bunch. And so what he would do is he'd say, throw the anchor in, Mike. Well, he had the crappiest anchor you ever saw. I mean, it was a tin can with cement in it. And, and the rope had gotten shorter and shorter as the years went on. Well, sometimes we were in the river, and the river could have a deep channel. And one of the things I would do, I'd throw the anchor in, and the boat would just keep moving on through the current. Because, you see, the anchor hadn't struck anything solid. It hadn't hit the bottom. And sometimes it would hit the bottom, and the bottom was nothing but sand. And so it would just drag along because the current was so strong. And then I wouldn't get my RC Cola and my Moon Pie. <laughs> It's like, you missed that spot, you know, and stuff. And so I started trying to figure out, where are the rocks? But you see, you had to find a rock. You had to find something sturdy, something stronger than the current. You had to have an anchor for the soul. Here's what I learned from my experiences. One was how to get an RC Cola and a moon pie. See, whatever you put your anchor in is what you have decided is your truest hope. But the problem is this, anything but the promises of God is nothing but putting your anchor in water. And water ebbs and flows all the time. So what we have to begin to realize is if your anchor's in your family, it's just water. If your anchor's in your finances, it's just water. If your anchor is in your own health, it's just water. See, the anchor has to go below the water. It has to find something heavier than the water, something, the, the vicissitudes or the, 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 you know, these, these changeable characteristics of water cannot change. And the only thing that can really anchor your soul is the immutable, unchangeable promises of God. Isaiah chapter 40 says it so beautifully. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. <laughs> Out of the mouth of babes. <laughs> Think about this with me. Hope is the spiritual generator of your soul. Without hope, you have no faith. I've had people say to me so often, I have faith, I just don't have any hope. Can I just tell you, it is not faith if it does not have hope. But again, what's your expectation? What's your hope in? Is it the solid rock of the immutable changes of God? Because what will happen is if he says go and your hope is in your family, you won't go. If he says 
wander, but your hope is, but God, I have to understand what I'm going to get out of this. I have to understand how this is going to bless me. I have to understand how this benefits me. If that's the only way you have hope is if it's a blessing that you understand, then you won't wander with God. You won't be able to live in uncertainty. You won't love God for God. You just love God for what God does for you. See, if it's not anchored in the rock, then when you're called upon to wait, then the waiting seems like torture. Do you understand that in the waiting, part of the curriculum of the Holy Spirit is to bring you annoying people? Irritating people? I might be one of those this morning. You see, it won't be that you wait and it's just, oh, I've got my iPad, I have my iPhone, I have all this. It's going to be, you're going to wait and you're not going to know how long I have to wait. And you're not going to know what the results of the wait. But you see, it all comes back to this piece. Do you trust me? Because when you trust me, you don't need to understand. Well, on July 20th... Um, when I had, I'd had the heart attack, then I had the stroke, and they had to move me from the cardiac care to the, to the stroke care, and about seven or so o'clock that night, I found myself in this hospital room, in this hospital bed, and I couldn't see out of my right eye. And Lisa had gone, it was time, she had to go home, and visiting hours were over and stuff, and I'm all alone in the room with, except with a roommate who's in an even worse position than I am, and the room just felt incredibly dark. Now, I've been close to death numerous times, and every time I've been close to death, God flooded the hospital room with the tenderness of his presence. He didn't do it this time, and I was, I was like, God, where are you? Because I could see what Satan had done. I could see what I had lost, but I couldn't feel his presence. And I couldn't, I couldn't, it wasn't like the other times. The room felt empty, it felt deserted, I felt devastated. You see, as I tried to read, I couldn't read, and my whole life has been reading. My whole life has been writing, whether it's PowerPoints or sermons, and I couldn't write, I couldn't focus. My brain was kind of moving at a million miles a minute. I felt like my pastoring career was over. My preaching career was over. I didn't think, I felt like everything was over. And at first I was just angry. And my anger was this. <laughs> they didn't do me any good in the, in the heart procedure and they took my sight away. And I was just like so furious. And then I said, but this isn't helping me. You see, one, things I, one thing I've learned, you probably learned this too, some emotions are worth keeping, some aren't. Amen. And I started to say, Lord, where are you? You're not close. Or I don't feel you. It isn't like the other times. Where are you? And you know what he did? He spoke in a really small voice. I was like, okay, I know this is an Elijah moment. I'm going to have to listen. You know, I mean, sometimes you just want it to be real loud so you don't have to listen real carefully. But he was speaking really softly. And he was speaking really quietly. And 
And here's what he said. This is going to be your greatest challenge. But you're going to have to turn your face to me. And he said, I'm here, but you have to turn your face away from all the other things that are happening. And you have to turn your face to me. And basically what he was saying is, here's a threshold. I'll tell you later what it will accomplish. But right now, I need you to trust me. And I remember with tears in my eyes because I couldn't see. I couldn't read. And I thought, everything has changed. And I said, how, how can I not trust you? There's no other voice that I listen to but your voice. There's no other person that I want to be with but you. And I began to just, I just began to trust. I have to tell you, I have to, I, I have, to have you understand that if, if he had asked me to cross this threshold 30 years ago, I couldn't have. But because I went through other thresholds, when I got to the one where he says, I'll tell you later, just trust me now. I had enough experiences with him and I knew what his quiet voice sounded like and I could go into that trust mode even though I didn't understand. And I turned my face towards him and towards him alone that night. The room was, there was darkness. There was, there was all kinds of spiritual stuff going on in that room because of the roommate I was with and all kinds of stuff going on. And yet I could still hear his voice in the midst of the ebb and flow of the water. Because the anchor was in the rock, not in the water. Now, I'll tell you what happened. The next day, I started to be able to see. I started to be able to read. I've lost all sight out of the center of my right eye. But he's given me vision to read, vision to study, vision to write, vision to do all of those things. As a matter of fact, I have peripheral vision, so I'm driving and doing it. I'm a menace on the road again. I can get more tickets in Nyack. <laughs> but you see, I didn't trust him so I'd get my ability to read back. Because he didn't promise that. I trusted him because I trust him. And because I wanted to cross over a threshold. And I'm sharing these stories with you today because I believe you're at a threshold. I believe you're here today, whether it's the go, the wait, the wander, or the trust, whatever it is, like Abraham, you need to master the threshold and master life. You are called to be an overcomer. I went through the threshold believing not only that I would, but that you would. Ashley. Will you stand with me as we close in prayer? I got to listen to that message twice, and uh, the way I described it after the first service was it just feels so sharp and on point. Because not only do I believe that the Lord is asking if we'll trust Him personally, but I believe that the Lord is asking if we'll trust Him corporately as a church. The Lord is asking us to cross a threshold. And two things really struck out to me this morning in the message. And the first one was this, is that when God tells Abraham to fear not, 
Many of us as parents, when we're holding our children in our arms, we, we're willing to do hard things, we're willing to work hard or do what we have to to get through because we're already holding the promise, we're already holding the fruit. But Abraham hasn't delivered anything, his wife hasn't had a baby yet, and God is saying, fear not, trust my promise, even though there's nothing tangible in your arms. And the reality is God, God could have taken him through this journey after he had a baby, but he, he didn't. It was all before. It was all saying, hold on to the promise. And the second part is this, is that when I get this picture of, of the anchor and the boat, I've been on a boat every summer since I've been married to my husband because we go on a lake vacation. When you're on a boat and it's anchored, the boat still moves. You're steady in one place, but the boat is still moving around that anchor. Friends, we can put our faith and our hope in the promises of God even as we're being moved and swayed. Even though we're not holding anything tangible in our arms, even when we're being swayed and rocked, we can put our faith in the promises of God. And so I know personally for me, the Father is saying these things to me. Will you trust me? Will you wait? Will you wander? Will you go? And I believe he's asking the same of us this morning. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you as we were reminded in worship that we are never alone. That even when you tell us to go, we don't go alone. Even when you tell us to wait, we don't wait alone. Even when you tell us to wander, we don't wander alone. Even when you ask us to trust us, we're not alone. Father, I thank you that you sent your son to give up everything so that we could have relationship with you. Father, I thank you that it is not only your plan for us to have relationship with you, but it is your desire that even the generations to come, that the whole world, that the whole globe would know you. That was your intent in creation, that we would hear your voice as we walk with you day in and day out. So Father, I believe you're asking us, will you go? Will you wait? Will you wander? Will you trust me? Father, we say we want to be people who cross the threshold. And so we will go and we will wait and we will wander and we will trust you. I thank you for your promises. I thank you that your promises will always be fulfilled. That not one word is wasted when you speak. And Father, I do give you praise and honor and glory for even the sign of your healing in Pastor Mike. We declare as scripture says that this is a sign of your goodness and we say to our enemies that you will be put to shame. And we will go, and we will wait, and we will wander, and we will trust you. And we give you all the glory and all the honor. In Jesus' name we pray.